the Ritz-Carlton was booked. My name is Matthew Kroll. And we need to work on your pitch, son. The El Royale. Bad place for a priest. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Bad Times at the El Royale. Were they bad times? Were they really bad? I well, think... Actually, that would be our review, wouldn't it? Was it bad times or good times? Well, I mean, we, that, we can't just say that up top. If we did, we could just end the podcast right now. This could be the short episode. Bad We're... Times at the El Royale. Good. See ya. Yeah, no, we're not doing that. I refuse. Why not? Because could you think that could be our new podcast like format? Uh, yeah, a niche is you like. You think we'll get more listeners if we did less detailed discussions? If we could do ten reviews a day, each at thirty seconds a piece, like or ten sec ten second reviews. This is what I'm saying. I think we need to like copyright this right now. Ten second reviews. I think they've done you that before. Do the I think like thirteen thousand people have done it. Where we are the only <laughs> podcast about movies, so I don't want to give up that thing because the second we leave, another singular podcast will take over. Right? Do you think? Yeah, it's amazing how we've been doing this for almost two. It's no, been two, three. It's, oh, it's been, been three, three years. Really? Think yeah. about it because we're at, this is episode one eighty four. Right, and nobody else has come up with a podcast at this point, which is disturbing. I it mean, is, listen, there's yeah. lots of like film adjacent podcasts and right. things. I think um, it's just because we're so good at this. I yeah, we're you know what we're really good at? Just talking about how good we are. I know, and also rambling to like avoid talking about the movie. Well, I'm not avoiding you wanted to talk about it less. I want to talk about it more. Oh, don't do that. Don't, <laughs> it's not a he said she said. <laughs> uh hi everyone. Welcome to the show once again. We are uh we've checked in, we have our rooms. I'm staying in the Nevada side because uh, I like to gamble. I'm gonna go California, which is uh sunny and bright, and Nevada was optimistic. That was always weird. I was like, really? Nevada's optimistic. I guess if you're gambling, yeah. you have to be optimistic. You, you better be optimistic. But I just always thought California was like, you know, let's head out west to California, California. IA. That's that's where the optimism was. I mean, like, sure, I, but maybe because Nevada's kind of on the way, right? <laughs> so you're getting there. You're optimistic to get to California. Yeah, maybe. Side note. So. Uh, something uh, you know, if you haven't seen this trailer yet or anything about this film, but which is would be odd at this point, but um, it takes place in a in a hotel called the El Royale, more of a motel, really. But I, I, Ooh, I found out the distinction of that. What is it? The a motel has rooms that are accessible from the outside. Mm -hmm. Hotels have rooms that are accessible from the inside. Yes. Um. So it's a it was a high end motel that that basically the gimmick of it was the center of the hotel had it had two wings branching off the side uh, had the red line from the state uh, from uh, the basically state lines of California and Nevada. She mm here, -hmm. um, and it, I believe it's in Tahoe. Yeah. Have you ever been to Tahoe or, or have you ever have you ever done this exercise of like standing on the line of a state that's well marked? I, I have been to Nevada and I, I have done that drive. So I've done that trip where you basically uh, stand on a point and you're in three states at once and it was uh, Cali uh, California, Nevada, Arizona. I've done uh, that. So I, w I went to Tahoe once uh, and I need to go back. I went in my early career at MTV and <laughs> I was uh, fascinated by the fact that you could actually on the Nevada side, just go gamble, but yeah. then on the on the California side, you could not like there were sort of like especially different rules. And I did the thing that a lot of characters do in this film, and I like walked the line for yeah. a long time. It, there's something. Look, it's arbit. It's completely arbitrary until it's 
not, I yeah. guess. Uh, but I like I like things like that. I like symbolism, and, and not even symbolism. I guess this would be symbolism made real. This would be like uh, here's a hard example of of an imaginary thing. I would love if on one side there was like a, a slot machine, and you could throw coins at it from the other side, but you couldn't keep the winnings if you won. <laughs> you, you got your next big money making oh, idea I'm, coming, I'm snapping yeah. with these things You're all today firing all on today. all cylinders um anyway i was just curious because i had something that drew me to this concept um even before and before i even realized who was involved with it and all that jazz is just i i i've always dug that weird arbitrary thing in the United States. Yeah. Um, it's just a fun, stupid nonsense thing, and I dig <laughs> it. Uh, but this, uh, so this was a film that uh, we had talked about, and I think we got particularly excited about it, uh, because the director is Drew Goddard, mm-hmm. uh, and and that uh, I think in the nexus of films that we both unabashedly love, which is a very, very small Venn diagram. It is a tiny, tiny sliver. Uh, I would say on one end of it is Fury Road, and probably at the other end of it is another film that we have never discussed on this podcast other than to say, oh my God, I love that movie, and that is Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Um, so uh, we, I think we were both like, oh God, the guy who did Cabin in the Woods, which is a really exciting moment for us. Yes. Uh, but just to swing back to our listeners for a second, I just want to shout out a couple of tweets, or a tweet, uh, about out our uh, Predator reviews. Oh, wow. Uh, and this comes to us by at Driven by Tatiana. And uh, she, I'm going to say she, uh, definitely agree with several points made, bland white man lead, empty use of me- mental illness and disability, and incoherent plot. Uh, I think that's a movie that uh, the further we move away from it, the less we kind of, well, the less I think about. I mean, I've never thought about I it. I haven't yet. thought about it much yeah. again. Yeah. Again, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, mean, I don't disagree with that tweet. Let's yeah. just say that. <laughs> um, and uh, I just want I also wanted to point out one thing that uh, nobody had mentioned in our review uh, in, in talking and discussing our review of 22 July. Oh. But it's something that I kind of thought about a lot because I started reading some reviews after the fact. And it's something I've talked about on the podcast a lot but didn't mention on that particular episode okay. uh, which is a particular pet peeve of mine which is uh, foreign language films that are spoken in English. Oh, yes. Uh, that is a real big pet peeve of mine and it's something I didn't I didn't mention. And I was reading a lot of reviews saying, uh, you know, people saying this is a real... Um, uh, that th- that is just a a line they can't cross, particularly for this particular tragedy, because the analogy they you know mentioned was imagine if in you know like a, yep. a French company decided to make a film about nine eleven and had all the all the Americans speaking French or something like that. More companies need to do things like that. Yeah, I think that would be that would, it's that a, would it's, learn us a lesson. It's a big. It would be a very expensive middle finger and sort of a a, a teachable moment. Hopefully, of course, in this day and age, no moment is actually teachable people yeah. just reject it outright but i would like to see it would be an expensive it would be very expensive uh jabbing at our cultural identity of taking every other part of the world and telling stories through cinema in english uh the only thing i would say yeah and i and i i think i was kind of i had just lit that Thing slide for some reason, uh, and maybe it, uh, you know this isn't an excuse, but we just watched the film and then walked into the review like yeah. the second after, mm-hmm. so I didn't have time to kind of uh, process that. But um, good point. Uh, 
Uh, it's a f- entirely fair point and uh, one that I have called out many times and didn't call out in that episode. So I think that was interesting. Um, the the only thing there is, I, I think you know they do speak English in Norway. Uh, they do have a fairly high percentage of English uh, language speakers, and the actors were Norwegian, um, just speaking English. Yeah. So uh, it 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 doesn't really excuse the issue, given that there is another film about uh, the the tragedy at Utøya um, that ca- that came out at the same time that is entirely in Norwegian. Right. Um, but just worth noting. You know that that uh, that is a deal breaker for some, and I and I wouldn't disagree with that being a deal breaker. If a film is clinging to the idea of authenticity, as something like Twenty Two July is, the notion, and especially something that we talked about right at the top of that film, which is that you know uh, doing a film like that on Netflix allows you creative freedom. One of those creative freedoms should be to do a populist film about a tragedy in the original language and you know sticking to the authenticity. So um, I uh, I think that is uh, food to chew on. I still think it's a very good film. Oh yeah, uh, I it shouldn't think... it shouldn't make anyone not watch it. Um. I don't know about that. Really? I, I, yeah, because I th- that is a real pet peeve of mine. It is it is a real real pet peeve, and I think and I think it's a legitimate pet peeve. Again, if authenticity is the thing you are clinging to, that seems to be a major sure piece but to let not me, have. Let me be devil's advocate for a moment because I agree. I think it okay, should have very well. Horns, yep. Yep, I mean, it's all outfit. here. Yep. Yeah, yeah. A very very deep V. I'm wearing now. <laughs> um, the the. Uh, is is there an argument for and and shoot this down if if you find the hole in it right um is there an argument for doing uh this story in english to get more people uh, more people like more more citizens in english speaking countries like actualizing like what's the word sort of not realizing but reflecting like reflecting upon. connecting with the story yeah. etc cuz granted it was global news when it came out right but the but the english language english language speakers don't own the story oh no of course not yeah. but what i'm saying is and the, and would i think that... the families that are so i i would uh, my, my I, it's not a it's not a true rebuttal of your argument, but my 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 sort of counterpoint would be, if you were a no, you know, if you were watching the story of your life being told, sure, and it was being told in a language other than your own, um, and it was meant to reflect, uh, you know, meant to be a true reflection of who you are, and I think one of the things that I the that I touch upon this is that language is not just. Uh, it's not just the spoken words. It's a it's a sense of identity. It's a sense of the way people think. It's the sense of the way uh, your your society is structured, which is so much about what that film is about. Mm-hmm. If if that was completely just taken yeah. out, how would you feel about exactly. it? Exactly, I know? do agree with that. And another thing, I'll even fight against my own devil's. Uh, I'll, I'll take the deep V off and I'll put on a nice uh, button up at this point. Yeah. Um, the it's also on the backs of every other movie done in england like yeah. it's it's now become an it's an issue because it's incredibly consistent too yeah. like there's so yeah okay yeah, yeah. i mean I, you know again, I, just, yeah. I, I still st- i stand by our our review and, and the comments I of made course. about the film is just something that i reflected upon a little bit later uh, on that film gotcha well speaking of reflections mm, uh a lot of reflections there's a lot of reflections sometimes uh only one way two way maybe even three way reflections uh, all throughout this film uh, you can reflect on any film that you want to talk to us about by emailing us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or connecting with us on Twitter at onlymoviepod. We love hearing from you. Also, if you really want to get deep 
into reflections of what you think of this show. Oh, I saw. Uh, there's so much ham in this room. Right go, <laughs> go to the iTunes page. Just slice open your ham, cook it up to however you want, and yeah. give us uh, however many stars out of cookie cutters in the ham. If you can actually <laughs> just put it on your screen, uh, we would greatly appreciate it. <laughs> um, so, bad times at the El Royale. Okay, tell us what the IMDb synopsis oh. of uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. I'm gonna just to, just to kind of put us in uh, put us in the right place, the right state. Yes, <laughs> one of two. Yeah, seven strangers, each with a secret to bury, meet at Lake Tahoe's El Royale, a rundown hotel with a dark past. Over the course of one fateful night, everyone will have a last shot at redemption before everything goes to hell. Hell, a place. In the middle of the desert. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a little more mouthy and a little more uh, dramatic, dramatized than I'm used to with dramatized? these. Yeah. Dra- Drama- dramatized? Dramatized. Yeah. yeah, that's what I said. Don't <laughs> rewind it. I said dramatized. Dramatized. Drama. Uh, this is. That's I gotta. The, that's the name I gotta of my stretch album. out my. I gotta dra- stretch out my dramatized. Okay. Um. Yeah. In, in this movie, uh, I guess we'll just sort of get right into it. I. Dug it. Ooh, hot take. I, hot take. Hot take. It's I funny because we did, we watched it and we didn't talk about it at all. No, and we've and had we, some time, and yeah. so I, I actually didn't know where you sat on this film. Yeah. No, I overall dug it. I yeah. have problems as I often do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it was, you know, here's you know, this is what I'll say. It was too much of what I wanted it to be. Okay. <laughs> if that makes any sort of sense. <laughs> um, I mean, with the pedigree of Cabin in the Woods, right. Uh, it, 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 this felt like a natural extension of that kind of storytelling, like machinations on machinations, like sort of like the intrigue of something and something connected underneath it and blah, blah, blah. But sometimes the, um, the path that it took once it hit one of its sort of swivel points, yeah, I feel like it just went on a little too far or long and like kind of, it never derailed, but it definitely did like... You know in New York City when you're waiting for the subway and you lean and you look down the track, <laughs> you know, like to see if the train's coming. This felt like you never they never fell in the track, but like they had to hold someone's hand to like really lean off to the side, <laughs> and then eventually they came back to what they were trying to say. Okay, um, I loved the look of it. Yeah, I thought the the lot of really nice. Um, Cinematography, uh, fr- framing, symbolism, yeah. lots of really great stuff there. Um, the the main lobby of the El Royale was beautiful, amazing, yeah. and I love great sets like that. And they they used most every part of that set, which was nice. Um, acting, I dug. Um, it was all. Uh, speaking of ham, a little bit hammed up, of mm. course, throughout, but it was consistently ham, and exactly. therefore, and I'd had John Ham John in ham, it, yeah. um, <laughs> so <laughs> lots of ham, but they 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 never wavered on tone, yeah. so that's something where I connected. It never threw me off. Yeah. Um, lighting, uh, I thought the lighting was actually absolutely wonderful, especially in the various rooms. The only thing that I I'm I'm not even sure if I enjoyed or not. I was trying to think about it this morning, was the actual structure of the story. Okay. Uh, because it's told, in a, it, it does that thing that sort of, um, 
has become, I feel like, prevalent in this sort of like twisty, turny. Um, I think in the Tarantino world of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. Um, where revelations come and then the story stops and backs up and goes to a different character's point because there's seven it's, different main characters. It's also chapterized, yeah. which I think is the the main you know, yeah. way of doing um, it. Some of those worked for me. Some of them didn't. We'll get into it. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I, I really dug it. And I'm glad I dug it because it was getting such middling... Hmm. Reviews. I yep. think it's 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 not doing great on on good old RT. But it's, we should not really... doing bad. It's like seventy eight percent. Okay. But but the the thing here is, I think that uh, people who don't like it really don't like it. It's mm. not it's not a middling film. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got that. What about you? Um, I I feel like this is a film I still need some time to sit on because on the here here's here's where I will sit on it right at this particular moment. Okay. Is that I did enjoy it. I don't think it works. Okay. I, I think it kind of uh, falls apart uh, pretty rapidly towards the end of the movie. And ultimately, I think my issue with it is is I don't think it has too much to say beyond unraveling the story of these characters. Right. And, Agreed. And, and, and which, is, which is frustrating because the film sets up so much symbolism and it's so obviously told in a very particular way that you're wondering what the point of that is methodology of telling is and ultimately uh all roads kind of lead nowhere for this film now that's it i it thoroughly enjoyed the ride i i i was a hundred percent on board for this movie i think the first third of this movie is excellent mm-hmm. um i thought it was it took the kind of um twisty turny thing that drew goddard did with um cabin in the woods and refined it so it felt it felt you know whereas cabin in the woods was um, a little messy, grungy, grimy, grunt, you know, like uh, sort of pulling, it felt like you, you were just kind of like swept up in it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, this felt very refined and pronounced and those opening sequences with like where we're we're tracing out how the hotel works, Yeah, uh, I thought were just extraordinary pieces of storytelling. You know, like uh, there's a scene with John Hamm that is entirely silent uh, where he is reve- where we are kind of revealing a little bit of the underbelly of how the El Royale Hotel works. Um, that's told in some very subtle wonners. So you know, long tracking shots that reveal pieces of story as it go along, and they're just beautifully choreographed, excellently crafted sto- pieces of storytelling where you didn't actually really notice that they were wonners. You know, like they were just kind of happening and right. you, and you were just engaging in like oh there's this piece of story that's being revealed there's this piece of story that's being revealed mm-hmm. um so i thought that was really really extraordinary i think the way that it employs um it, it starts out with image and then underlying narrative um so this is that sort of mirroring that this film does you know on both sides where you see someone and then it's it's revealed later again not through dialogue but but through sort of imagery that that what we have learned about that person isn't exactly true and that yeah. happens with all characters i thought all of that unraveling was really beautiful and i was yeah and i i think i was like you i was like ah, any critic who doesn't like this movie is is off their rocker at this point because mm. i am just loving this um, but ultimately and this is something i want to talk about is is that this genre film this sort of tarantino esque uh, I think it's a mixture of uh, of the sort of the, the the showdown at the OK Corral Western kind of thing. Hateful Eight, yeah, the Hateful Eight uh, mixed in with like the 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 central 
uh, one sit location, mm-hmm. uh, sort of uh, theatrical sit piece kind of movie. Uh, I think ultimately those kinds of films, for me, when they really work, they're about something grander because you know we basically set the stage for a single single space in order to explore a bigger idea. And for me, the thing that I think uh, is interesting in this genre, and I think it's something interesting that this film kind of starts talking about has to do with fatalism, has to do with like our rejection of, of societal norms, and ultimately hasn't got much to say about that. Well, so here we go. I, wa- I kind of wanted to back up to one of your first things, how you thought this was a refinement of Cabin in the Woods. I think this is a film that in the parts that I don't that didn't that didn't connect with me, are it, it was almost like it was an attempt in an attempt to refine Cabin in the Woods type of storytelling, but in that attempt, they got lost in their own like woods, for lack of a better term. I mean, Cabin like, in the Woods is a far bitter movie. Right, right, right. Yeah. But like, for instance, Cabin in the Woods had something to say. Yeah. This movie has characters that have a lot to say, like in their own sort of arc, in yeah. their own sort of story, but the film itself isn't telling me anything which again is okay but when you when you have a film as rich in in imagery and references and and characterization and and story through location as this i i was expecting it to have some sort of uh revelatory ending that was like oh yeah like now granted cabin in the woods moment like that is amazing it's amazing it's also convenient like you can wrap up anything with i mean again this is not maligning cabin in the woods this is just storytelling like you can you can wrap up anything with oh but then a higher power does something and then you're like okay and they said that's what cabin in the woods is about exactly but but so 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 something set in a more realistic tone yeah um is harder to do that with yeah um and and Oh, sorry. Oh, I was gonna say another another example of this sort of like single place thing that does use its own space to to tell a story. Again, it's more mythical. Is Mother right? Um, th- I'm trying to think of a story in this in a space like this that has done that has done this much character development, this much sort of uh, imagery and references uh, in the single location that actually has a a, a specific. Thing that it has said at the end of it, right? I mean, the thing that comes to mind, and again, it's due to specific places. Yeah, is uh, is Alfred Hitchcock's film Rope. Rope, to, yeah, to me, kind of conjures it. It's not quite the same thing, but it's, uh, and and I didn't like the Hateful Eight, right? Um, very much. I think the Hateful Eight kind of for me fell apart in in ways that were kind of, that were very disappointing. Um, but I think the Hateful Eight had something to say because ultimately. What happens at the end of the Hateful Eight, and this is spoilers, non-spoilers for the Hateful Eight, is that we see a reflection of of Americana at that time and its ref- and and its response to race, and yeah. that becomes the prevalent theme that connects those characters in a in a sort of interesting way. I think that my issue with El Royale is that there is a conversation that goes on in this film about. Uh, living beyond the living beyond the norms of of uh, morality mm-hmm. um, that that these characters are all engaged with and are all wrestling with that um, that ultimately doesn't really go anywhere in terms of this conversation and and there's a couple of, there's a couple of points a couple of things that are really this movie does a lot of work in terms of introducing side story points that are hopefully going to connect you to with you know to to what's going on in the main in the main storyline. Like we'll often flash back to like 
a very distant flashback about how this character ended up here. And basically looking at the exact thing that you, it gives you a piece of information that you need to know in order to connect what's happening right now to this person's past. And ultimately there were a number of those stories that didn't actually connect to what was happening yeah. uh, in in the in the main storyline at the El Royale. And then ultimately when the El Royale story wrapped up, there were a lot of like loose threads that didn't add up to anything. There's lots of stuff that didn't quite matter. Now yeah. I'm gonna slip mm-hmm. on my uh Unitard onesie and plastic pitchfork one more time to do a little devil's advocating again. Um I like this outfit on Sometimes you. thank you. It's um it's slimming. Six um the Sometimes when films like this are too too much, like too like all the pieces fit together too well in yeah. a way, uh, I don't like them because it becomes expected. It becomes not not really a, a journey that my mind is interested in, like trying to deconstruct. Right. Um, I do like a red herring here and there. I like things thrown in that this film feels very much like this is a is a the title is exactly happening what we see on screen. This is just one bad night at this hotel. Yeah. And it just keeps getting worse based on uh, you know history brings it in but also each character brings their own baggage and a lot of times that baggage comes to haunt them. Right. Um so I did I didn't mind the listlessness at which it told us our it, the the sort of clues. What what the stuff that sort of bothered me a little bit was when it would make really cool references, make things that are like apparently important to the characters in the story because they would be to any character in the situation. And in this, I'll I'll start talking a little bit. This is a, a minor spoiler. They um at the El Royale, it's actually what I guess a a, uh, a government uh, basically recording place like it's basically a place where the government could keep tabs on yeah. uh famous people or 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 high uh you know senators etc they'd go to the el royale there were secret rooms where they'd be filmed and then the bellhop would send the yeah. stuff back to washington dc uh there's one particular tape that while i don't think it's problematic that's in the film um everyone is sort of like amazed when they find it yeah and w- i took that as it's jfk and marilyn monroe it's it, it's probably it, I, the other one that I thought would be interesting if yeah. it was was MLK Martin Luther King. Oh, maybe because there was a there was famously a tape that the FBI made of Martin Luther King having an affair and they and they used it as leverage and they, I think they wrote him a letter and said kill yourself because we have this tape of you you know like huh. um, and I, I I thought that would have been interesting but again the film doesn't explore well, that the reason why I think it is them is because of out of all that there's like they they do a pan shot on the wall mm-hmm. of all the famous people that stayed there mm-hmm. and there was one of JFK and Marilyn Monroe it, it makes perfect sense yeah that it was yeah um but there's a moment when Jeff Bridges character uh father Flynn mm-hmm. uh also great great reference great Tron reference <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> which I loved. Yeah. Um, they might as well call him Father Dude. <laughs> um, the the he he's like, oh, they made recordings. He's like, did you keep any? Did you keep any? Yeah. And he's like, I kept what the the bellhop um says. Oh, I kept one because I couldn't I couldn't turn it in. Yeah. Now at I. I that moment felt very un. Um, both character, like Jeff Bridges' character, felt a little out of character there when he ran to get the tape because mm-hmm. he. I, I at first I was like, oh, he thinks that the thing he's looking for might have been on that tape, and he yeah. can figure out where the room is. But it doesn't really feel that way. And then he looks at it and he realizes what it is, and he mm-hmm. keeps it. Yeah, like 
there's moments like that that don't that not only don't connect, yeah, uh, or don't go anywhere, but like they don't quite narratively make sense either. And this is what it is: if they just dropped them, yeah, that's okay. That's a red herring that was meant to throw us off, and we're moving forward. But it feels like it keeps dragging a lot of that sort of stuff along with it, trying to tie it back into something that it never actually does, or ha- like the meaning of the film is alluding to. Like it's yeah. just like it's literally. The equivalent of just like uh, I, this is made a harsh analogy, but like toilet paper on your shoe, it's just sort of like dragging in the back. You're like, oh, I thought I got that son of a like. It's it's it doesn't do anything. I think what it is is the the film need like it's kind of you know the film is kind of a chessboard, a puzzle box, you know, with all these characters, you know, that 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 Drew Goddard is moving around in places, and that sometimes he just needs this character to move this object into this space. Yeah, and and but it doesn't he doesn't give you enough reason for that character to do that and i think that jeff bridges you know wanting the tape so desperately you know it doesn't kind of mesh with the narrative that he is a old bank robber who might have alzheimer's you know like it it doesn't really make sense of it the one i couldn't quite make sense of myself um was darlene you know played uh, played by cynthia rivio um smashing jeff bridges over the head with with a bottle it's like i get it but the movie didn't quite give me enough information to like really understand that moment. You know, like I was like, oh, the only thing I can gather here is she saw him like putting the 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 stuff in her drink. Right. And that and that caused her to like violently, you know, like smash him over the head. Suddenly, you know, making this sort of like kind of amazing action movie decision to like take off her shoes, run towards him, smash him over the head with a bottle in an instant. And I was like, that feels like a moment where a flashback would really help me in that moment. Yeah, because at first I was like, "Oh, well, they just did it that way because it was a it was a very visceral it, moment in yeah, the theater." Really like surpri- everyone was like, it. "Whoa!" and I loved it. Yeah. And then when it didn't quite explain why she did that or yeah. what she saw or how she knew it, yeah. Um, and again, this is this is where I feel like the refinement kind of knocks it a little bit too far in the wrong direction. Like this movie's long; it's yeah. like two hours and twenty. Yeah, it's, it it drags as well yeah. towards the end. So so why not use some of that runtime to like? It's not like they like they needed to get this down to a cool hour forty and like whatever. Like that even like I could almost forgive if you weren't going to like just sort of like really like lie around in the thing you're making. Like yeah. you could fit that in. Like. And so I, I don't know why that was sort of a choice. But again, uh, the moment itself is absolutely fantastic when you experience it. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a fantastic moment. I just uh, It's one of those ones where there's so much explanation in this film of backstory yeah. that when that happened, I was like, oh, I am missing something here. And I think you know your point about uh, Father Flynn and the, the tape or the film. Yeah. Uh, is a similar one where it's like, oh, what am I missing here? Like, why does this have to happen like this? And I think it's just that case of characters needing to move in place. Now, again, um, the the sort of craftsmanship of the in, in how this is executed is is excellent. Yeah, you know, it really. Uh, I, I hate reading these reviews that that are calling this subpar Tarantino. I think that's really dismissive in a I way that 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 is unfair to how good Drew Goddard is as a filmmaker. And it's and it's it just doesn't it doesn't mesh with like how well this story works and also how how few films are like this. There's yeah. a scale. Let's look at Goddard and Tarantino. Mm. Tarantino, so much of his work is is genius. Yeah. Um, but and and but what he does do is he leans on his strengths. Right. He leans on style hard, 
and then sort of does structure, I would say, secondary. And any problems with his structure that happen in the movie, a lot of times you can basically overlook because of how stylistic and cool it is. Yeah. In this film, I feel like the... How do I put it? The it might be a sliding scale in the other direction. There's yeah. some style here, and it's more of a of a cinematic flair, uh, cinematography in that like not so much the story's style or the dialogue style. Yeah. Um. But what it does, I think, better than a lot of Tarantino movies that do this jumping around point yeah. of things is it uses those points in those chapters as holy shit moments in themselves. Right. Particularly near the end, we'll get to it when we learn the bellhop, um, the bellhop Miles Miller played by Lewis Pullman, yeah. um, when we finally learn his story. Yeah. Um, that's a whole, it, 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 like, and it wasn't even when we started learning his story, yeah. it was the moment it cut away to the title card. I actually heard you laugh in the back of the room. And I went, oh! <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, yeah. it was, it, like, so I think structurally, I would have to give it to Drew if I if it's what I prefer. <laughs> yeah. Even though stylistically, I think a lot of Tarantino, whenever there is a minor flaw, you can just go. You, you, you don't care. See, that was one of those moments where I was like, I was kind of torn by that. You know, Louis Pullman's uh, character story. Um, there, I was like, I really loved when he's explaining to Dakota Fanning's character what he's seen in this hotel. Yeah. I think that was like horrifying and you really got a sense of like the breadth of it. By the way, just pointing out at this point, we have gone full spoilers and I don't think we mentioned I don't think we called it up front, but we we're, we're 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 deep in spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Well. we've been doing mini spoilers and yeah. now we're full blown full full spoilers. Yeah. Uh, but so I love the him just describing the horrors that he's seen. Yeah. Um and I thought that was like to me that was motivation enough to kind of really understand who this character was. Mm-hmm. Then to like the 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 I, I like the chutzpah of of having a backstory that is a war movie, like all of a sudden and like you you there's this like wide extraordinary shot where like you see um like a helicopter you know a downed helicopter helicopter, and and extras lying out that was numb Uh, yeah and i i love that this film was like oh all we're gonna like the we're doing this big war scene to basically explain to you that this dude's a sharpshooter yeah and has killed And and a messed up sharpshooter and has killed a lot of people i like i but i was like I don't know if I need all of this to just explain to me that he's a really good shooter. Like, I I like that it. I needed it. I, I I didn't need it. What I needed for because because to me the bigger problem is is the the end of the film hinges on this catharsis between Father Flynn kind of taking the role of being a priest when he's not actually a priest mm-hmm. and Will lying on the ground you know giving a confession and. I didn't feel like that moment really landed because I was still unclear of the choice of the reason we got to that scene being the catharsis of the movie. Like I didn't, I didn't see that 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 scene actually worked. Here's the problem. Here's why it doesn't work. Although I like it on paper, and yeah, I like, I like I, everything th- about this. I like on paper. But here's why it didn't work. Uh, Miles's story isn't the story of the film. But but yet but yet in that moment we're given a solid six minutes on this or something yeah. like that in the actual theater for this cathartic moment between these yeah. two characters that are really two of seven yeah like so all of a sudden it's swinging to and you kind of a little bit to the point um Father Flynn and uh, Darlene are yeah. kind of the 
I don't know if I'd even if the film gives them the time enough to be the good guys, but they are the ones you are rooting for at the, by the, the two thirds. The film through the ends film. with them. As yeah, well, yeah. You know. So, so what the film does, and I think it's actually a misstep. Yeah, is it treats that moment as if two main characters are having the final catharsis that the entire two hours prior is building to. Yeah, and it, the entire two hours did not build to did that. Not. There's there's maybe fifteen, that, 15 minutes that builds and, to that. And that's what I mean about that that war scene, which is like again, I like it on paper. I like that it's so big and it's so you know revelatory about like who the the depth of this guy's problems. But all it kind of does for me is show me that he's killed people and he's a good shooter. But here's, and that's not what that final scene is about. Sure, but I will say, even so, he got way less time than every other character's flashback. That's it, so, it, to me, it's not a time thing. It's a it's a thing about like where in the story is this happening? Like you know what I mean? And, I, I and, think, and you and you just said yourself as well. This is this is where the film is kind of ending on, and it's not where the film should end. But on. here's the thing: I don't think, and th- this might be a, a small nitpick that we'll go back and forth on for a little bit. So buckle up. Yeah. Um, I think that the the scene because there's no other like that's the largest flashback scene, even though it's the fastest. Yeah. Um. But it's also the most shocking to yeah. me, right? Um, it, and and because, and, but not. I will say this: so shocking in a sense of I didn't see it coming, but it also made sense. You would like the government would take a military person who is might be kind of lost and be like, "Hey, we have this terrible job." But see, for you we to didn't do. learn that. No, I know. But all it we ma- learned no, no, was no. that he'd gone to Nam and shot people. I know, but it, but it makes it makes sense. Um, it makes sense to me to. Uh, for for the th- that character's journey makes sense based on everything else I've seen in the film. Right now, now the, do I? Th- he, I think so. He got that. And that scene is entirely earned for me. But the end between these two to three characters, depending, the film is showing me at the end. This is the important story you should have been paying attention to all along. But it never did that before that scene. Yeah, I I, I think. Again, it's just a weird thing, and and you know, for a film that's so tightly constructed, it's hard. I don't think this is a case of editing because I think this is the like you never get a sense in this film that this wasn't the film that they wanted to make. I'm just not entirely sure about what the film they wanted to make was. Like, I don't think this was a film that was discovered in editing. I think this was a film no. that they understood what it was. I just was like. I'm not sure it's very clear what this film is. And um I have an idea. Okay, good. Uh I think I, I I kind of disagree. I don't think this is a film that was discovered in editing, but I bet you there's an earlier cut of it somewhere that doesn't have the sort of like importance and the and the longevity of say this last scene of this confession. Uh, sort of making it as like sort of a main catharsis point. Um, but I also bet you when watching it, you know, if you don't have a moment like that, I, I would be fine with it, I feel like, as a viewer, but I, I can imagine a lot of viewers might not be because it's not sort of standardized. Yeah. Um, I bet you that was sort of put in because the story they originally wanted to tell probably didn't have really any... Like it was just going to probably end with the two of them getting away and then showing up at the at the singing lounge in Reno. But this was almost like trying to give you an actual movie ending without sort of like you know like standardized movie ending without 
actually setting up that there was going to be one in the first place. Right. I, I think they probably had one. There's an interesting interview with uh, Drew Goddard where he talks about they actually presented a shorter film, a shorter version of this, and the audience score went down from the longer version. Huh. Uh, and so he was. He talks about uh, in the interview, I think it's on uh, IndieWire, uh, about trying to figure out the length of a film. And he said, you know, in his cases... I think in both Cabin in the Woods and this that 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 the films needed to be longer to allow yeah. you to breathe in them. And I again for the first half of this movie, I was like, yeah, I I could I could sit in this for like three hours. You yeah. know, like I, I love everything about this. But but it's the second half um, where the film kind of doesn't start wrapping up or doesn't start really honing in on what this film is about that that doesn't really work for me um and and here now for the most part i think this is a beautifully cast movie you know like yep. everyone in it and, and and they've got like every every person playing a, a bit part is an actor you know is, oh, like, yeah. is a recognizable face um i think each of uh chris helmsworth's abs were all sag after oh yeah they yeah they've all got a like a yeah. little card on yeah, their own. yeah uh, his 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 Jesus belly Christ. his belly button Jesus <laughs> holy shit yeah I know it's like it's I was I remembered uh, when I first saw Thor and I saw it with uh, with my wife and like the first time he took a shirt off she was like can we just rewind that and I was like and you were uh, like yes <laughs> yes yes we can uh, because holy <laughs> good bravo Side, sidebar here yeah yeah sidebar on on uh, Chris Hemsworth abs but 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 the I think Chris Hemsworth isn't quite the right guy for this part. Now, I don't think he's bad in this part. I don't think he's doing a bad performance or anything like that. I don't think he's just quite the guy. I think, I think, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, I don't think, I just, uh, my, my point here is like, we just watched Mandy uh, yep. last week where we were talking about the, um, uh, the way in which cult leaders can mm -hmm. entice you, and I think like for me, Chris, like the dialogue is all there. Chris Hemsworth looks like the guy, but there's something about his performance where I don't really kind of buy it. And maybe that's the point, but it, there's some there's there, there's a little bit of a disconnect to like you know like to, especially to introduce this character in the last third of the movie. With with this kind of you know he it and this comes to that point about that I wanted to talk about with fatalism yeah which is the idea that that these are people that are operating outside the boundaries of law that find some sense of order with outside that boundary and um, you know films like uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Killing mm -hmm. kind of uh, embraces the chaos that exists outside the law as a kind of form of order unto itself. Um, uh, Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs, you know, does the same thing. There is the sense that there, despite these people living outside of the law, there is a sense of order that that they don't realize is being imposed upon them, right. and that they need to adhere to. And you know, a lot of times this will kind of come in in terms of religion, or you know, some sort of like analogous religion. There's even a um, uh, Chris Hemsworth has a uh, sort of a wonderful line. Let's have an allegory right now um, during during the sort of uh, hazing fight scene that he that he creates at the at the party, which I really love. And 
but but so this character comes in and he is gonna be you know up until this point we've got all these kind of disparate characters kind of moving in all different directions kind of oddly and this character is gonna be the unifying factor he's gonna be the he should be narratively the thing that brings the film together you know right. like brings all the characters brings the hotel brings everyone to a point of focus to end it but the but, problem is he owns, he's really only is connected with two of the characters yeah and he doesn't even his sort of philosophical ideas like he has this uh, you know his, his speech about uh we're gonna play a game you know you choose good or bad and, and while you're doing that i'm gonna do something else and that's the way the game is played yeah uh none of that really comes into play for how the film comes together yeah. it's 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 he's got an interesting idea but it it should in my mind and maybe this is just cheap hacky screenwriting kind of approach to it but he should be the focus point for how this film well, resolves itself. Here's the interesting... Okay, I have... Oh, God, I have so many points, and I want to see if I can remember them all. Yeah. Uh, first things first. I don't think Chris Hemsworth is necessarily... Uh, Hemsworth is the um, wrong choice for this role. <laughs> I think the script itself um, wanted to really dance around, you know... Wanted to dance around what type of cult leader he wanted to be, and yeah. he's creepy. But then he never gets to like a real like. It's like <sighs> he's not like he. It never feels like the script lets him go all the way. Yeah, and there, secondary, there, there's something held back. Yeah, and uh, that also could have a lot to do with how we as an audience perceive Chris Hemsworth. Um, I like seeing Chris Hemsworth on the screen. Uh. I see either Thor or Chris Hemsworth at this point. Like I haven't seen a, a like a transcendent role for him yet. I loved him in Ghostbusters. Well, I, that that was wonderful, but I still saw it was like, oh, Chris Hemsworth's having fun. Like yeah. that's like you know what I mean. Yeah. So and I would. I think that my point here is that I would want him to have fun with this role. Oh yes. Yeah. I, I there is something weird that sort of locked him back. Yeah. Um, but I think now that we're sort of discussing this more, when I first saw it, I absolutely agreed with you. I'm like, there's no transitive through point of his philosophy that he's bringing to this last big epic sort of ending of the film. Right. You know where I think it is? Yeah. I think Darlene actually uses it against him. He she says the most interesting thing, the most interesting counterpoint to him. But it's not but here's here's the great part. It's not a counterpoint. It's his doctrine. And the problem is when your doctrine is you have two options, but I'm going to do a third. Yeah. You that can always be used against you, yeah. Because the the option is then at that point, my new doctrine or the old doctrine. I'm gonna do something else. So, and that's kind of what she does. Now, granted, now this is the same same problem with the confession of Miles to 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 Father Flynn. The movie doesn't set up yeah. <laughs> that this is uh, narratively important for the through line of the piece. Yeah, it's almost like it's traditionally sort of two stories smashed together and we don't quite have the, the, all the pieces for the beginning. Yeah, it, there, there is there is just a sense that something is missing here. Um, and But I want to I try and unpack what uh, his philosophy on life is because he's, you know, on the one hand, Billy Lee, his character, is clearly a charlatan. He is, uh, he is you know... Um, uh, all the ways that cultist leaders kind of are, which is that they believe they they spout, you know, and this is what Darlene says: they spout words, but all they're doing is really using it to to fuck women. Yeah. Um. And this is this was true of Charlie Manson. This is true of uh, of Billy Lee. Um. And, and and I love that she says that to him, 
But but you know you know the thing that really held me back uh, on this as well. I was like, oh, it's really cool that Chris Hemsworth, you know, the star, you know, like one of the big franchise stars of Marvel, is kind of ducking in to do this like really perform like really weird performance. Yeah. And I kind of wish that he allowed himself to be fully ugly, not ugly in terms of the way he looks, but a fully ugly human being. Yeah. And I, and, and what I wanted uh, was. It's really odd to say, but race is kind of in the ether of this film right from the beginning. You know, like even John Hamm says, you know, who would have thought a Negro would be here to, to, to right. you know, at this particular hotel? And um, uh, I would have, and it, it's very prevalent that this is one of the things that's true of Charlie Manson, which I think, you know, Billy Lee is sort of molded in, you know, as well. With a couple different with, ones, but yeah. Yeah, especially with the, uh, with the, the girls that, you know, and yeah. they killed at a house, which is, Reminiscent of Charlie Manson's murders mm-hmm. through Hollywood. Um, one of the things Charlie Manson was really famous for is he was a racist. He was a you know a hundred percent unabashed racist, and one of you know his main goal was to start a race war. Um, and and I would have loved this moment between Hemsworth and Cynthia Erivo to kind of break down into that because then you would have really seen the 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 depth at which he was a false prophet. You know, like the depth at which he just hated people um, or the depth at which he just didn't believe the things that he said. Uh, You know, like how easily his philosophy on like God and hate and choices and fighting, you know, can can kind of break down. I think that to me that was in the ether and I kind of wish that the film was there. And I, you know, there's that thing about like whether the film was holding back. I was like, oh, I wonder if it's just a case of like Thor can't do that. You know I mean, what I mean? I, I In think, a movie? Here's the thing. I think it is more that, and, and I, I don't fully agree with like ter- using, like, yes, that, that is 100% a card they could have taken. 1960s, African-American woman yep. in, the, in, this, in this hotel room. Um, but uh, nothing, and again, this would have to be something, and the film doesn't do this great, that they sort of set up, I feel like, a little bit more in in the beginning than they do either in some of his flashbacks or in that scene near the bonfire or like, you know, something like just because sometimes that like in this particular scene between the two of them, it could be done exactly the way you're saying where I feel like it, it would be apt, but, but also a lot of times it can be used as a crutch to make something seem more evil. I agree with that. And I, and, uh, and, and my, my curtailing of my point would be is like, it doesn't necessarily have to be race, but you know, but I did something. Yeah. But uh, I think, but I think that's what was in the ether for those two characters, you know, especially where they were and what time. But the point is there as well as I, I needed something that where, where Hemsworth really betrayed or his character betrayed what he really believes because that's what Cynthia is calling out you know like she's saying you're just you know i you don't believe the things you say and it's it's you know i i rewatched the dark knight again recently and it was like that's the thing the joker is doing he's always like pitting people against each other and right. and and the and the solution there is to not play the game which yeah. is what Cynthia does well dakota dakota johnson yeah. who is also in this movie who is also so attractive chris hemsworth and dakota johnson in the same movie <laughs> It's worth it's worth it. Okay. Beyond beyond skill and acting ability and all the wonderful things before. Holy shit, those are two beautiful human beings. Yeah. Um her character I I wish there was more um animosity or interaction before her final end between her and Billy Lee because it that just seemed a little bit like 
off the cuff. It's almost like Billy Lee was supposed to go into a little bit of Joker territory without actually having the mythos or the or the or the actual belief structure to support it. Yeah. Um, There's something also just just very briefly in the tenor of his voice that's like a little thin. You know, like there, there's just something thin about the the way he maybe it's on purpose. I, I, yeah, you could argue it's on purpose, but it doesn't really go anywhere. Well, that's the thing. If it's a choice, it doesn't quite land. Yeah. If it's if it's something muddled up in the cultural zeitgeist of Chris Hemsworth and how we experience him, it still didn't quite land. Like, yeah, but oh god, I feel like I'm shit talking at this point. Like I dug it. Like I I really did enjoy my time there. It's I'll say this straight up. I, I know we're kind of coming up to the end here ish. Uh, I would like to see this movie again. I will rent it or get it when it comes out. Because um, I, I want I want to see if it was just things that I could have, like maybe small things I missed or, yeah. or something that could help sort of uh, knock back any of my uh, small, well, not necessarily small, my, my regular-sized critiques, my my issues I had. Yeah, I think the point here is as well is that um, I say this... There shouldn't be like a forgiveness to the film, but there are so few films like this right yeah. now that I'm excited to talk about this movie, even though ultimately I don't think it kind of works. Where there are other movies we've done where, you know, I don't think work in the same way, but I'm not as excited to talk about. It. You know, mm. I think this film is very well crafted, well put together. And I think I think it is the 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 issue here is that if this film had stuck the landing, mm-hmm. if it really had stuck the landing, this would like there's, you know, for that first half alone, this this would catapult straight up to the top five movies that I've seen this year. But yeah, because it really, it really doesn't stick that landing very well. Oh, here, well, no, I, know, I'll even it, say, you, you know, like for instance, I'm always a stickler for endings when when, when an ending doesn't give me that like the 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 catharsis that I need. Yeah, um, I think this movie's ending. Is the correct catharsis for eighty percent of the movie I was shown, right? But and I know I'm sort of breaking it up here, but like if you want to take chunk, like seventy percent to ninety percent, like near the end, yeah, that felt tonally, timing wise, uh, referentially, sort of like like they were trying to cash in on a lot of stuff that that a, a film would have normally earned at that point yeah. if it wasn't doing all sorts of cool other side things and red herrings and whatnot. And then it just sort of snapped back to a bit of a tiny a tiny win for two characters nilist a little bit sort of ending, which is what the rest of the film felt like. Yeah. But there's that hiccup of like of the ending of the, the pre like the the almost ending that I just I think derails that feeling and makes the ending feel less the, the true ending at the yeah. at the club feel less good to me. Yeah, like I I don't think there's anyone that watched that ending where the music kind of like swells yeah. and you know she's at you know she's at the mic and like she starts to perform where you're like aha yeah you know like I, it doesn't it 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 sort of evokes that feeling but or it's meant to evoke that feeling but it yeah. doesn't do it at all and the 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 sort of shame of it is is that and maybe this is sort of a conscious point uh, you know point on Drew Goddard's. Um, uh, sort of filmography at this point is like he doesn't want to be you know like narrowed into the guy who does this but this is a film where you could introduce like a complete left swing uh, you know 
unknown character, unknown machination, which to me is like, who runs this hotel? Or how does this hotel actually operate? To yeah. kind of swing this all together. You know, like you could really like swing for the fences on this thing. But that is what Cabin in the Woods did. Yeah. And, 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 you know, like... You don't want to. You, you don't want to play the same trick twice. I guess maybe is a. It maybe is part of the thing. Maybe. But I was kind of like, this is a film that is really primed to do that. You know, like everything is primed to give us like a sort of almost Coen Brothers like here is this character that we don't know, but that's been pulling the strings the whole time, or is being you know like operating this whole thing. Um, I got it. I figured out why it doesn't completely work. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's because the movie, for most of it, sets up that the main character is the hotel. Right. The, it, it really, really, really does. And we are slowly getting to learn the hotel through the machinations of the characters that inhabit it. And then, when when Bush comes to shove at the end, the movie's like, no, actually, it's just these two characters and maybe this kind of villain that happens here because these other people are here yeah. that are the main characters. The hotel doesn't matter by the end. The hotel doesn't matter yeah. by the end. And and look, one way to fix that, and it would be a sort of doing your same magic trick twice, yeah. would be to show the government agency have, um, have um, I don't know, who would be a, uh, an amazing uh, Samuel L. Jackson-esque character come out and be the, the, the government agent in charge of the hotel or playing the president at the time. Yeah. Or, you know, something along those lines um happen that's one way to do it yeah. you could also have it be like the entire thing itself was actually being witnessed by something else you know li there's lots of different there's lots of ways it reminds me of the ending of uh, burn after reading you know like where yeah. there is this agency that's controlling all the strings of these people and they're like what did we learn from this i don't really and know and here's the other <laughs> thing so and, and so that that's why that's that's why it's yeah. because the, the the entire movie sets you up that the main characters the hotel and the experiences that that have happened there yeah. and it turns out that at the end nope yeah, well, that I mean, and that's the issue there is that you'd kind of be repeating the the cabin. You would, you know, and and you maybe you don't want to retread. I that. wonder if that was a, a concern at some point and something changed. Uh, perhaps I I mean I there's just the only thing is is that this story is so primed for that. You yeah, know, like it's such a it's such a great setup for that. John Ham's character, the the, the, the fake Southern yeah. slash FBI agent. Why was he there? Because so much happened, I kind of forgot. Why he was actually there? I think he was there to collect the tape. I think he was that there. makes sense. He was there to find the tape. That makes sense. You know, he's in there and he knows that the room oh, is bugged. Oh, and he does. He when he when he finds the secret room, he he, he goes and opens the canister to make sure that yeah. to see if there's tape in there. Yeah, and and then the interesting thing that happens to his character is he's instructed by the government to like not interfere with the kidnapping that's happening that he in the process. Witnessed, yeah. And he like takes it upon himself to to do that. And in a way that should kind of sit in motion a lot of things. And it does, but it's it 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 has no connection to the end of the movie. You know what I mean? Here's the other thing, and this is where that doesn't quite make sense. So the government agent John Hamm sent to get this tape. Or the, something like that. that, yeah. that no, yeah. I think that's hundred percent what it is actually yeah. going on. Why Send him now, like JFK or whoever. This this hotel is run down. They haven't been there in a long time. Yeah. So they're just going to go there and hope that there's a random tape that's the guy they hired maybe kept when he said that there wouldn't be after like four years and this thing is in decline. So well, there's the the I think the the backstory of this film is the Cointel Pro um, uh, controversy where Nixon because Nixon is on screen as well. Yes. So this is in the Watergate era. The idea of surveillance is is very prevalent in this movie. Is that um, perhaps a tape if it is JFK. 
Uh, a tape of JFK can tarnish the image of JFK enough to help Nixon win a re-election bid. Sure. Or, or to you know, like because that's something that um, that Billy Lee says as well. It's like it's not that he, um, it's not that uh, that he had sex with this woman. It's that that this could re- it could change the image we have of a person who's already dead because they yeah. all they all acknowledge the person on the tape is dead. Yes. So it could be JFK, RFK, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. Yep. Um, and it it unfortunately yeah but like you say it's not relevant to to the way the film actually ends up the the other thing is i thought the the opening sequence with nick offerman's character burying the money yeah i i, I love that opening yeah, sequence that i thought was it was fun. so good and and one of the things is that it introduces a secondary character whom we see later on in the film as well um that never comes back it never sort of Becomes Which an, secondary character? It's the character that shoots Nick Offerman, who oh, is yeah. also the 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 robber, uh, you know, the other the young kid robber yeah. that they make a point out of, you know, like it's like, oh, this guy is the one that fucked up this robbery, and yeah. eventually we know he will go back to kill Nick Offerman, but it goes nowhere, and yeah. it's and it's sort of like, oh, you're introducing this mythos to the film that doesn't really do anything. Um, and that's really important. And then, you know, for me, the the Lewis Pullman character, Miles, is, the mythos that's introduced around him does nothing. No, oh, I like that. You know, that was a nice I, I like it. Yeah. I, I, it's not that I do, don't like it. It's just that it does nothing. I will, I, I guess what I'll say is I liked it all, yeah. uh, but the, the connective tissue that, mm-hmm. that is missing, I feel like, is my, mm-hmm. is my and, and the fact that it, it, it kind of, you know, upends its own thing about what is important. Like yeah. what it's trying to talk about, <laughs> it kind of doesn't go to that where you. But think. to your point earlier about like wanting to talk about this film, I would love to try and pull apart the the philosophical strands of this movie. Yeah, and and see what it's doing and where I think it actually goes wrong. Yeah, um, because maybe on two or three report viewings, it might it might. The problem is if it's doing it so subtly, it's so subtle that it's like. Too subtle. It's too subtle. And still it, wrong. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not obvious how this all plays together. <laughs> right. And it's really sort of frustrating because it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. It is so good. So, yeah. so uh, I mean, that's kind of our final stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I think people should see it. I think so. If you haven't seen it by now, I, I don't even think our ramblings, I mean, we ruin stuff, but like you might not catch it all depending on what's been ruined. Here's what I will say about that, just to think about it. Um, uh, the other movie that came out this week that that we are going to eventually talk about was is Damon Chazelle's First Man. Yes, and uh, I hope we will get eventually get to a review on that. But if you told me that the that the sort of uh, B film noir, it's not a B film, but B film in that yeah. sort of noirish yeah. sense, was the one I am far more interested in than than the major, you know, science exploration film by the Oscar-winning director of La La Land. Yep. Um, was the one I would be far more interested in talking about. I would have been really surprised. Because I was eagerly anticipating First Man, and I've seen it, and I, I don't want to give away too much about yeah. my review there. But I was, I, it's, just, it's so interesting that this is the film I really, really want to talk about, and I want to have more time to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, but so if you have seen this film, please, and have thoughts about it and why it does and doesn't work, uh, maybe you have a rebuttal for us on terms of why you think it does connect. Maybe, maybe you think it works perfectly. Maybe yeah. maybe there's something that we have not uncovered, a, a possibly a room we haven't looked through the uh, one-way, two-way. How many ways is those mirrors? Is that a two-way mirror, technically? I don't think there's any three ways on that. Yeah, well, you, well they, I bet you there were. Yeah. Um, you know, Let us know. Let us know what you think if you think we're missing things. Because <laughs> this, my dear, dear friends and listeners, was the only podcast 
about bad times at the El Royale. The El Royale with cheese? Nah, we can't do that joke. No. <laughs> uh, email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod with your thoughts on this movie or any other we have done. That's right. Um, to discuss it. Maybe it's time to revisit The Hateful Eight. Perhaps. Perhaps. Shahir, when you are not holding up in some motel trying to figure out if everyone has bugged it and then eventually shooting a round of buckshot through a two-way mirror to fatally injure kind of another human being where can folks find you i'm implying from that that you believe i am as attractive as dakota johnson and uh i you can find no pictures of me on the internet at my website www.shahirdowd.com that's s-h-a-h-i-r-d-a-u-d matt when you are not doing this podcast with your shirt off and your navel like jutting uh to and fro to and fro (laughs) erotically at me which I am unable to concentrate on. Where can people find you? You can find me and all of my Messiah Complex, complete with lighting behind my head as a halo at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skelter, the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. Also, you can check me and the rest of the Extra Credits gang out on the Extra Credits YouTube channel. Uh, we got a bunch of great stuff. We're just finishing up. Um, we're doing the lies episode for Maja Pahet, okay. which is uh, the history of the uh, some hi- uh, specific history of the Indonesian islands and all the stuff that we got wrong. Our writer Rob gets on screen and he just lets us. He lets the audience know, like, yes, we realize we did these th- some <laughs> of these things uh, poorly, which I think is very important when doing historical, um, you know, essays. Yeah. Um, anyway, next week we're doing First Man. Is that the deal? Um. I think so at this point. I, I'm curious to see what your response to First Man is. And okay. I think First Man is a is a is a worthy movie to go see at the IMAX. All right. Um, not a IMAX. Not a IMAX. Go go if you're in New York City, go to the Lincoln uh, Lincoln Square AMC. And if you're not, use the internet and find your own. Yeah, but there's not many of them. I know. Yeah. All right, everybody will. Have you hear us next week? <laughs> you you <laughs> lost that right? You need, no, I was you trying need to... is a backstory right now to tell you why you lost that. Well. It was 1992. Yeah. And I was probably in the third grade. I'm bored of this back. And I was climbing on the tire dinosaur when all of.